Well, good morning. Welcome to Eastlake Online. We are so glad that you are watching this, however it is that you're watching this, whether it's from home, on your couch, or perhaps on a walk, listening to it on a podcast, or whatever from our app. Uh, thanks for doing church and uh, in a crazy version of church, to be honest with, uh, with you on that. Uh, what a unique time that we find ourselves in. I mean, depending on who and where you're watching this with, you may be watching this on the couch with no pants on, and that's an interesting way to do church. Um, this may be the only time in history where pants are optional at Eastlake. I mean, from here on out, it's going to be pretty, pretty mandatory moving forward. But enjoy it because when this thing gets back up, again, pants required and probably masks. And that's just the reality for it is for where we're at for a little bit. But anyways, uh, last week we started our final summer series of the year. It's a series we're calling Either Or. It's a series on um, decisions. It's a three-part series. We said that uh, decisions come in lots of different forms. We don't feel like we're making as many decisions right now as kind of we usually do in life, but there are, there are like phases at which it goes through, phases of actually deciding on something. That was week one, self-deception, which is this way, and then, and then changing our mind at some point, which would be uh, next week uh, as well. And uh, we said we were going to look at one single parable that Jesus taught. Jesus, I got too much coffee. Anyways, uh, Jesus taught um, uh, that kind of focuses, I think, a little bit about decisions. And and it it comes in a context of his authority has just been questioned. He comes in to critique and criticize sort of the religious system of the day. And he comes in to say things like, this is broken, right? Um, He's looking at people who have been excluded from uh, church and religion religious activities and saying uh, that God's grace is for everybody and you've made it for like an exclusive few. Uh, And so he has some issues with that and he verbalizes those. And then those in power, whenever people who are in power get their their, uh, jurisdiction questioned, oftentimes uh, understandably react with a, who are you to tell me about this? So that's what happens. Who are you to tell me? Who are you to talk about what we have going on uh, here in this, uh, you know, religious system? And uh, so then Jesus poses, to them a question in, in return, and they don't play the game with them. And so then he goes into this parable, and it shows up in Matthew chapter 21. And this is the, the only um, version of the Jesus story, because if you look at the New Testament, what you see in the New Testament is uh, the very first four books, we call them the Gospels, four different versions of the story of the life and the teachings of Jesus, all told from four different perspectives. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A lot of times, uh, many of the stories will show up in all three or all four of the uh, of the the versions of it. Sometimes it's only one or the other. And in this scenario, only Matthew has this sort of story or this parable in this way. And we'll talk about why I think that's unique next week. But it's in Matthew chapter twenty one, uh, and it says this: uh, Once upon a time, well, it doesn't say once upon a time, but anytime that Jesus does a parable, that's essentially kind of the uh, venue in which he's talking. Parables were far more um, present in that sort of that way of teaching or that didactic way of talking. Um, today, we would say something like once upon a time, which is uh, us telling a fairy tale. But in, in this scenario, in a parable uh, scenario, they are trying to communicate a point. It's a, there, there's a moral to the story. You got to keep that in mind. These, this didn't actually happen. There wasn't an actual dad who had two sons, but there's a point that's trying to be made. And we'll get to that point. A man, once upon a time, a man had two sons and he went to the first one and he said, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I'm going to pass on that. But afterward, he changed his mind and then he went and he went. Uh, and so then the father went to the other son and said the same thing, you know, go and work in the vineyard again. And he answered, I go, sir, which uh, if you're a parent, 
like, I don't know how much you'd pay to get the, these words to come out of your kids' mouths, but it just never comes out that way. It's, it's never, even if, it, even if it's a yes, they never refer to me as sir. I've never had that happen before. But anyways, again, it's, that's why it's fictional, once upon a time. Once upon a time, kids respected their parents. Anyways, you did not afterwards, uh, even, um, oh, sorry. Sorry, there we go. I go, sir, but did not. But this is the key thing. He did not go. Even though he said he was going to, something happened, something transpired, and then he did not go. Jesus then, after telling the story, now pulls himself out of the parable, addresses the people in the the audience that day, and says, which of these two did the will of the Father, they said. Uh, Well, the first one did. The first one, again, just to remind you, was the one who said, I'm not going to do it, and then decided to go and do it. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you, uh, which is an aggressive, like he's pointing fingers. He's, he's saying things that are going to be offensive to his audience that day. Uh, clearly, uh, uh, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you d- did not believe him, but the, ta- and he's referring to John the Baptist there, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes twice, he refers to these, he's saying these twice, um, believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your mind and believe him. So a lot of stuff in there about changing your mind, which we'll get to in, in the following week. But again, today we're talking about the response specifically of the second son who said, I go, sir, but then afterwards changes his mind. Now we've all changed our minds. We've all done kind of things. We've all been in scenarios where somebody, even a parent perhaps, and maybe it's been a while for you, but a parent or somebody in authority, a boss or supervisor or whatever says, I need you to go to do this. And we've all had that kind of, we're weighing the, ba- you know, weighing the consequences in, in terms of how things work out and should I do this or should I not do this? Or do I want to do this? Do I not want to do this? The first son responds in the negative. He's honest about it. I'm not going to go do that. It doesn't sound fun. And we don't know why. He doesn't go into why, but in our scenarios, we've said no to some things, requests of us. And so perhaps we can kind of uh, insert our own kind of reasons for why we said no and, and uh, trying to understand why he might say no. And we, we could guess at what he, why he said no, and it would probably be based on our prejudice, prejudices about kind of people, whether we think that people who don't want to do things are lazy or just whatever, we would say, oh, that's so like him, so wishy-washy or so whatever, so uh, out of a respect for authority, whatever. Maybe he decided decided that he just was like, it's just not for me. I'm not going to do this. But then he changed his mind because he thought, you know what? I need the money. I said no, but now that I think about it, I really, I I thought forward to my schedule. You've done this before. I don't want to do this. But then I forgot Friday night's coming. I want to be able to go buy this thing. I've been saving up for this thing. I'm going to change my mind. Maybe it was an economic decision for him. It was not to please the father or I ought to do this because my dad loves me, blah, 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 blah. It was purely about the money. We've made decisions about purely about money reasons, right? Maybe he felt bad though. Maybe it was a guilt thing. I shouldn't do this to my dad. He works so hard all the time whatever. How many times have we switched up our answers to our dad's request because we felt bad about it? You know, we've done that before. So it's very relatable to us to have said no to something and then having had time to think through the economic benefits of it, the relational benefits of it, or whatever else to then change our mind and go for it. But also the second one is incredibly relatable too. Because, uh, and that's, this is where our focus is going to be today, um, because we've all said to something or someone who has requested something of us, okay, yeah, I'll do it. I'm in, sign me up. But then we change our mind and he changes his mind and he begins to talk himself out of it. 
And it doesn't say why he talks himself out of it, but it doesn't take, it's not a large, uh, long or large stretch of our imagination to understand why somebody might talk themselves out of saying, even after deciding, yeah, I'm in. Okay, now I'm not in. I mean, new information has come to light. Perhaps better options presented themselves. I mentioned that a little bit last week or this last week on our podcast about how when it comes to scheduling with my wife and I, um, we'll be like, what do you want to do tonight? I'm not sure yet. Let me see how this plays out, right? We, we, we slightly commit to something. That sounds fun. Somebody gets, invites us over to the house. We'll see. Yeah, if things clear up, we'll, we'll let you know, right? And, and all the while, we're just looking around, seeing if there are other options coming. <laughs> No, we're in. We're so in. We were always in. I just wanted to see what was out there, right? Or we say, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the entire time we're doing this like look around piece on there. I, I, that could have been part of what goes through somebody like this in this scenario's mind. Or perhaps he just realized I said yes, but I forgot to check the temps that are going to be on my phone. It's going to be really hot today. It's 93 degrees out here. And, and going out and working in the vineyard like... Now that doesn't sound as good. I didn't realize it was going to be so hot, Dad. There's new information around that. I'm feeling, by the way, gosh, I'm feeling a little off today. Perhaps I slept wrong, not feeling well. Maybe it's the Rona. Whatever. I just don't feel like I'm in a position to be able to do this. The bottom line is in this scenario, this is what we're talking about. The person who says yes to something, but then new information, new things, new changes, changes their mind in the negative in this way. And Jesus is telling this story for this person right here. Like his audience, again, are the religious leaders of the day. He's not typically speaking to the even though he mentions them twice in the response, he's not talking to the tax collectors and the prostitutes. The addressees of his speech that day were to second son sort of people, people who have spent their lives saying yes to the religious systems, but then not actually following through on any of this. His bewares, his cautions, his worry about this, be remember this, don't forget about this. His big takeaway for this entire parable is to that group of people, people who have once said yes to God, said yes to God, but then it doesn't translate into real life. And so bottom line for today, if you're taking notes or writing these things down, or if you're on your app, these are on the notes or just below the, the screen here. Beware an abundance of intentions, but a poverty of action. Beware a lifestyle, a choice, a, a pattern of, of life, of doing decisions, of living out your decisions, where you've got an abundance of intentions. You really wanted to do all of these things. I really wanted to do this. I genuinely was interested in this. And a poverty of actions. This is a terrible place to be. And not just because you'll be known as that guy, right? And it's not about even that. It's not about perception or, oh, people won't trust you in the future. That's not it. Like that's the least of the, of the worries. I mean, that, that is in there. You keep doing this. You keep saying to your friends, yeah, we'll be there. And then all, all the while you're doing, yeah, yeah, I think, we'll, I think we're going to be there. And then you're looking around and you're like, ah, just kidding. New, another option came up that's better. You keep doing that. They're not going to keep inviting you. Like you're not a good friend and, and they should definitely find new friends. Um, but that's the least, that is a, a, uh, a light error in light of what is truly uh, the beware, the caution that Jesus is trying to offer to these people. 
because there's something deeper, something more insidious that can, uh, and far more personal uh, that can take place. And there's a couple of ways that we can explain our behavior because immediately you know, when we've been in these positions, um, we do a couple of things to push back. If people ever challenge, hey, you said you were going to do something, you backed off. And, and I imagine the people in the audience of, of Jesus' time that day, they would say, listen, we get who you're talking about, right? You say it in once upon a time, you couch it in these soft terms, but we know you're talking to us. But let us explain ourselves a little bit. Let us provide some answers. Let us, let us talk through why we do these things, because this is what we do. A couple of ways we can explain away this behavior. Number one, we can do offer claims of complexity. Claims of complexity. When, when our behavior doesn't match up with our intentions, when we're experiencing a poverty of action in spite of our best of intentions and overabundance of intentions, we would say, well, it's a little complex. Let me... Let me think, let me, let me when, when people say you lied to us, we'd be like, well, no, that's kind of a misunderstanding, right? And, and we, we offer the complexity of the situation. We offer the complexity of our answers. Did I really say I would go? Did I really say that? I mean, I know I'm maybe what it said, what, it, what I made it sound like was that, yes, I'll be there. But when I, what I said was um, I'm in, but that can go a lot of different ways. I'm in as long as there's conditions attached to this. And it's completely relatable. We attempt to cover up our shame, the shame of not not being what we said we were going to be, uh, with issues of complexity. You just don't understand. My life is busier than you get. Like you live a simplistic lifestyle. We, we always, we always look at, at other people and, and judge their busyness or their complexity or whatever differently. Their life is so simple. Their decision-making is so simple, but see, mine's complex. Like I got kids and I got a husband and a wife and I got, a, I, got a, I got all kinds of stuff that you just don't know about. So, so who are you <laughs> to accuse me of being deceitful, of a liar? I know I said this, but things have changed and we kind of judge other people uh, in a more simplistic way than ourselves. We are, we are all, all very complex. You wouldn't understand. Words become flimsy. Concepts aren't concrete. They're abstract. Truth is multifaceted. Depends on how you look and the angle at which you look at it from. And as bad as using ambiguity to shield yourself from blame or wrongdoing, and, and it can actually get worse. That's, again, a very, even though that sounds bad and it sounds like, oh, I get it, I get it, Brent. Thanks for things I need to work on and realize that I do this on, on my own. Um, that is surface level. That is like... Uh, what do they call that? Grade one sunburn? That's like when it's like, ah, that sucks, but it's not the worst thing that can happen to you, okay? It can definitely get worse. Number two, claims of contextuality. So we've got complexity, which is you just don't understand it, and then contextuality, which is basically us, when we are accused saying, you're, you're a deceiver. No, in the moment, I genuinely wanted to do what you asked me to do. If I'm the son in this scenario, dad, I know I didn't go out and work in the field, but when you asked me, I was all for it. So I didn't, I wasn't deceiving you and I'm not flimsy. I genuinely wanted to do it. Now things have changed. Circumstances have changed. The context has changed. Now I don't want to, but, but please don't take that for thinking that I deceived you in that moment. In that moment, I genuinely wanted to do it in, it wasn't deceit in that moment. It was genuine. Now 
let's pull this out of this scenario where dad's asking us to do some work and pull this into a more probably relatable scenario in the context of, uh, of marriage and divorce, right? I've done enough marriage counseling, divorce counseling, talking through people over coffee about kind of where they're at in these relationships and how many divorcees would defend their original vows, which is I, I will forever and ever and ever and ever until the end of the age, until death do us part, blah, blah, blah. Those were genuine in that moment but because in that moment they were offered with sincerity. I really genuinely meant what I said in that scenario. But just things have changed. Like, listen, I've changed. You've definitely changed. I mean, that's how these things play out, right? But, but please don't take that to me. So, so you lied to me. I did not lie to you. When we were all dressed up, when there was a minister standing before us, when all of our friends and family spent hundreds and maybe thousands of dollars to come be a part of this, and when we asked our bridesmaids to wear this dress that they're only going to wear this one time, when, when they were all there and they spent all this money and, and blocked out an, an entire weekend for us, for our family, they, they went to a rehearsal dinner. There's no business us making these, all these people come to a rehearsal dinner. It was just us. Anyways, they did all, they made all these sacrifices. That's just me as a pastor berating rehearsal dinners. They, they made all of these arrangements. And then you said these things to me and you were lying the whole time. I wasn't lying the whole time. In, those, in, in that moment, I genuinely felt that way and I genuinely meant it. But there's some extenuating circumstances. Contextually, things have changed a little bit. A little bit. In fact, and this is where it gets really deep and dark, right? Now that I don't love you anymore, which we've established that because I've changed and you've definitely changed, for me to stay in this relationship, now that would be deceiving because I would be living a lie and I don't think I can put you through something like that. So me pushing you away is actually my way of loving you. Can you see that, right? Do you see, can you see how that first one, as bad as it felt, this feels even worse? Can you see how this deception begins to kind of make its way deeper into the roots of our persona? And we would say, you know, well, you know, uh, you know it's complex. It's all, it's all complex. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean as much to us as when it gets in this scenario. And contextually, we can kind of game this system so that I'm actually doing you a favor in not keeping this thing going anymore. And, the impo- and then we would say things like this. The important thing to remember is this, that I loved you then. I really did. But con- I, in that moment, I was not deceiving you. Dad, when you asked me to help out in that moment, I committed to it, but things have changed. And as bad as that one is, and as cringeworthy as that one is, there is an even dangerous level, a more a harsh sunburn, if you will, to measure that. And that's not even in my notes, probably a bad analogy, but a, a far deeper thing that can get into you that is a, a deeper level of unawareness of the deception involved in our decision-making, which is this, claims of good intentions. Claims of good intentions. They say that one of the most difficult things about this whole COVID thing that we're going through uh, is its undetectability in the early stages. It's contagious before the symptoms start to show. And even when they do show, oftentimes the mild nature of, of the overwhelming majority of the cases lulls us into this place of false security. And so people go and they hang out with people and do things uh, that they, they shouldn't be doing or whatever. The most dangerous viruses aren't necessary. And this is, this is from um, the in, in number innumerable hours of research that I have put into COVID research study. I'm basically an epidemiologist of this, or no, what's skin? What's the other one? Is that right? Okay. Epidemiologist. You can trust me. I'm a doctor. Okay. Uh, What? 
Anyways, I, I'm messing it up. Megan's trying to can, correct me. We'll figure it out in the podcast. I, I, this, is, this is based on minutes or maybe even hours of research in this area of study. So very, very trustworthy source. The most dangerous viruses aren't necessarily the ones that do consistently the most violent damage. Because if they do violent damage, they kill themselves off or these people, they, they're so sick that they physically do not want to go out in public or do not so want to surround themselves with friends and family. And those ones, through the process of the survival of the fittest, eventually meet a dead end. It's like in a very dark term. So sorry about that. I'm just saying that that's how these things work. It's the undetectable ones that you really need to watch out for. And that insipidness is what is at stake. When you say, how can it get worse than what you just talked about with the, 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 with the contextuality piece, this one is almost almost entirely undetectable. And, and that, and like the experiences that we're going through, is what makes it so absolutely dangerous. Let me reread verse 30 through 31, and then dive into it. And he went to the other son, the second son, and he said the same thing. Son, go out and work in the vineyard. And he answered to his father, I go, sir, but he did not go. And then the question is, which of the two did the will of his father? Jesus poses a question that says, which one actually did what his father wanted him to do. And it's the easy answer for us because it's the first son who said he wasn't going to go, but he, the, the end result is that he went out and did what his father originally asked him to do, even if the process and the means by which he got there was off. But let's play out a scenario to talk about this claim of good intentions. If the same initial responses are still in play, in other words, the first son, son still says, no, I'm not going to do it. And the second son says, I'll do it. But it plays out so that neither son ends up going and doing what their dad asked them to do. Then the question becomes, which one is better off as a result of this? Instead of which of, the fa- which of these two did the will of the father, if the scenario played out and said neither of them did the will of the father, okay, but which one was worse? The one who admitted up front, I'm not going to do it. Or the one who said, I'll do it and still didn't do it. If both of them didn't do it, who's better off in this way? Which brings us back to this uh, Kierkegaard guy I introduced last week, who's this whole series kind of based around some of his thoughts on on a book called Either Or. But um, he writes this, when you say yes or promise something, you can very easily deceive yourself and others also as if you had already done what you promised. It is easy to think that by making a promise, you have at least done part of what you promised to do, as if the promise itself were something of value. I didn't do it, right? But I'm not as bad as that guy who said, I'm not going to do it in the first place. At least I said I would, which kind of then justifies a little bit in comparison to him, at least I at one point wanted to do it. That's the abundance of intentions, but the poverty of action. Woe to anybody who finds themselves in this scenario, because in this scenario to the one who said no, it probably comes fast and easy for him, right? Um, This idea of, uh, did you do the will of the father? Well, no, I told you I wasn't going to do it and I didn't do it. But to the other person, there's a self-deception going on involved in this. Did you do the will of the father? Well, no. Um, but like 
at least I wanted to at some point. It's dangerous for a person to go backwards with the help of good intentions because it's so dang hard to realize in that moment that he's actually going backwards. It's a false sense of progress. It's one who thinks I did a little bit of something, even if it wasn't what my dad wanted me to do. At least I kind of was in the neighborhood or in the ballpark of it with these good intentions. Jesus comes to these people and he says to them, you've said you are going to be all about the kingdom of heaven. Um, and yet the kingdom of heaven is all about inclusiveness no matter what, right? Um, and loving people because they're who, but not because of what they've done, but because who they were created by. And you've excluded them in this way. And they would say, well, at least, at least we've, you know, we're trying at least we, we're, 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 you know, we, we've kind of set aside so many things. We've read so many books. We know all of the rules. We know all of the laws. We know these things. It hasn't transpired into our actions, but our intentions are good. And our actions haven't paved the way towards, towards any of that. But and, and, and in this scenario, I think Jesus would say, I'd rather if you are going to not obey it, at least be honest with yourself. At, le- at least no, because in, in the scenario where this first son says no and then doesn't do it, like unless he's a sociopathic liar, he's probably the first to admit, I've got a lot of work to do and I'm going to need a little bit of help in this way. And that, that's really the issue. That kind of a person understands their need for a savior. They understand I need work. I didn't do it and I knew I wasn't going to do it and I was honest about it. <sighs> Because I'm, I'm broken and I'm this and I'm that and the other. This is, this is why tax collectors and prostitutes are the first ones to get into the kingdom of heaven according to Jesus. They know they need it. You don't think you need it. Because your intentions are good. Because you've made some sort of something. Because you've shown up to church. Because you've done something along these lines. And the problem with this is not only that you do it this one time, but it has a weakening effect over time. Like an addict who constantly requires a higher and higher dose, making more and more promises to myself of I'm going to do good, I'm going to do good. Smooth sounding declarations all the while unknowingly and and unaware. That's That's the issue. Slowly walking backwards away from what God has actually called you and invited you you to do. Kierkegaard finishes this up with, we do not praise the son who said no, but we need to learn from the gospel how dangerous it is to say, yes, I will. We don't praise the one who said no, right? I mean, we, we, in, in, in a sense, that's not what we want. Don't say no just out of honesty, but beware saying, yes, I will, and backing off from that. There's a far more level of deception going on, far more than even contextuality or uh, this idea of complexity or whatever, this idea of good intentions. When it comes to our faith and our Christian walk, right? Beware a life that is full of these, that has an abundance abundance of of all of this uh, intention, of good intention, but a poverty of action. Now next week, when we come back, we will talk about changing our mind because in the scenario, um, some of them did and some of them didn't and the plays and the things that can go along with that. Um, but my prayer is, may we be the type of people who are at least honest with, with ourselves about where we're at. That puts us in a better need for a savior. But then um, when we do make decisions 
as as uh, Kierkegaard said last week, what's the thing that can that, that can keep us from slowly eroding away in life? It's to make a decision to formalize and be like, I'm going to do this. Like, this is what I'm going to do. I, 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 when I read uh, when I read through Jesus' way of doing life and his invitation to his followers, and I can extend that invitation to myself to live a certain way, uh, to live in such a way that um, that that uh, I want to be a blessing to others. I want to die to self to uh, be raised in, in, in life through his, his way of doing life. It's not going to be this passive, I'll see how it goes. I'll test the waters one foot in, one foot out. It's going to be, I need to decide to make this thing happen. And when I say, yes, I will, I don't want it to be an abundance. Oh, gosh, I don't want to live in that spot where it's this abundance of intentions and a poverty of action. So may we be the type of people who uh, count the cost, who, who look at the landscape of it and, and, uh, and figure out the cost of what it takes to build the house before we actually get going on it. That's another parable that Jesus would say. To, to evaluate everything and, and understand it and then move forward with the decision that we make and understand uh, what is all entailed in all of that. So May that be true of us. May our expression of what it means to be Christian. May, may we never get the finger pointed at us of abundance uh, of expectations and abundance of in- intentions, but a poverty of actions. What a, what a message from the outside. What a critique from outsiders on the church. May that never be true uh, of us. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is that you would help and guide us in that. Let us figure out what this looks like for us personally, whether we have these decisions about our own selves and about um, uh, things in our life that, that, need, that need work. And, and we go, I need to get to that someday. I need to get to that someday. May we decide. And when we decide, May we live with that. May that shape us. Make it, may, may, it, may it not be something that we, we go, yes, for now, while we're looking around at other options, but may, may that decision be uh, critical for us. May we, may we escape the temptation to fall into claims of complexity, contextuality, or just good intentions as well. May we see the danger involved in that and the deception that is involved in that. Uh, and even though it is so incredibly difficult to see, that's, that's, why it's, that's why it's so hard. But may somehow you and your infinite wisdom uh, grant that ability to us. Give us the wisdom to do what we know what we need to do and the courage to take action on it in your name. Amen.